0: He played Karo his rating.
1: Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast, their shares and reviews and Apple love. If you want to get more involved in all we do at U.S. Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax deductible donation of any size to our U.S. Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ladies' Night. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Megan Chen. She's a software engineer, a very active chess player. She is a passionate adult improver, and she's on this amazing quest, which really, you know, touches my heart. She is trying to play chess in every single state, and U.S. Chess rated chess at that. She's got 44 ticked off out of 50 um, just incredible. Recently, she, um, played in Idaho and Oregon. She's looking to be the first woman ever to do this in all 50 states. She's also gained over a thousand rating points, um, since when she first started chess in junior high. And she's a member of the chess punks community. You might recognize the name as. Megan um, recently penned an article for Chess Life magazine showing us one of her very exciting games that is and we're lucky that she's here with us today to talk to us about all of that and of course the quest to tick off 50 states of rated chess welcome Megan thanks again for inviting me on so tell me a little bit though because I'm seeing this pattern more so you play um, when you're a kid and then you stop playing and you get back into it. And when you get back into it, you're kind of more, more serious. Is that something I'm seeing more often because of like the adult improvement boom? And what's it like, you know, coming back and having like a rating of like 700 and really like being much stronger than that? Is that weird?
0: Yeah, it is. A, it's a very surreal feeling to look back at. And honestly, I think the one of the biggest factors that really um, propelled me to get uh, to get back into chess and um, push, uh, uh, push myself to work harder at it was a couple of things. So first and foremost, um, at the time when I started to uh, pick chess back up, when I um, uh, when I had the time, uh, I was just starting out um, my first job out of college, so um, imagine. Well, at that point of at that point of my life, that was like a completely new change from what I was used to in college. Back when I was used to, uh, when I was in college, I was used to just being constantly busy with homework and schoolwork and studying for exams and all that. But um, after I. After I moved out of like my parents' house and had uh, had my first apartment, um, living away from them, and uh, also newfound free time after work, thanks to um, not having to deal with college coursework, I uh, found myself with a lot of extra free time. And uh, when I was um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my extra free time as an independent adult, I was just thinking like, well. First off, I was thinking I had a bunch of activities as a child that I kind of felt I got into for like a decent, at a decent level, but just never really felt that I um, had as much uh, time or bandwidth to um, really fulfill them to uh, the extent that I wanted and chess happened to be one of them.
1: Yeah. And you really um, have made a name for yourself. You're on Twitter at um, Ghost 1181, you've gained all these rating points. Um, you were a part of the chess punks community. Um, but one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about today um, was this idea you have to break the record and be the first female ever to play tournament rated chess in every single state. Um, so when did that kind of light bulb go off that that was something you wanted to do and that was a record you wanted to break?
0: I knew for, for a fact that, um, well, I, uh, uh, ever since, I guess, like moving, uh, ever since moving out of my parents' house, I knew that like one of my um, life ambitions outside of chess was to travel more and just, you know, be more adventurous because growing up as a child, I always, unfortunately, was uh, pretty much a very solitary homebody. I didn't really go, uh, go outside all that much. And so as a result of just not going outside all that much, I didn't really you know, get to explore much of the world or much of the country outside of where I lived. So, um, I certainly considered that as a um uh, as an unfulfilled uh, life goal that I wanted to try to um uh, wanted to try to uh, really de- really dig into. And um, I played my first out of state uh, chess tournament in two thousand and sixteen. At the, uh, Hales Corners Challenge back in, um, April, 2016 in Wisconsin. Uh, and I believe that was also the, that that was also, um, the, the, the time that I, uh, for, uh, that I first met one of my chess coaches, Ryan Murphy in person. Um, and, uh, that was the first time that I have tra- uh, traveled to, a, traveled to a state outside of Illinois to play chess. Now, one may think like, okay, Wisconsin is Illinois is Illinois's neighbor. Uh, it doesn't really feel like it, it is like as notable as like say traveling somewhere else. But however, um, what, another thing that uh, got me to travel to additionals uh, to additional states outside of like you know the easy neighbors is um, over the course of like the first half of twenty sixteen. Um, when I was trying to just expand my general um, social networks in chess, both inside and outside of uh, the Chicago area, I um, the, over the course of um, a couple months in 2016, I became close with uh, a friend who I'm still close with right now uh, from Northern Virginia, and uh, that as a result of that, uh, I ended up um, deciding to um, play the same tournament as him in uh, November, 2016. And that was the Northern Virginia open in Dulles. And so um, I, so that was like um, one of my, uh, one of my first States outside of the, uh, outside of the U S that I, that I ended up um, playing in. And then after I realized, Oh, Hey, I have played a state in, um, outside outside of like um illinois and the surrounding borders for the first time i was thinking like hey okay if um making new friends in chess and or um seeing new places could also come hand in hand with me going to tournaments why not do uh, why not do some more and so um ever since then i um didn't stop restricting myself to only playing chess tournaments in my in, in my local area and so um that was where i started to um try to play uh, 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 to like you know open up the possible open up the possibility of playing more events rather than uh, that are outside of illinois rather than simply the ones that are in illinois now <clears throat> i wasn't as active um prior to uh covid compared to um uh, com- uh compared to like after covid with regards to traveling to states because uh prior to covid uh illinois had plenty of tournaments uh and uh, i was also particularly fond of uh the chess community in the um dc area so i didn't really have like very many uh new states to um travel to back then but then um when covid hit uh and uh when things were also like rolling rolling back in, in terms of, uh, restrictions being lifted, some chess tournaments slowly came back, but, um, not, uh, but not any in, uh, in the Chicago area for a while. And then that's where I also noticed that there were like bunches of tournaments in certain areas that, uh, were resuming their in-person events, but they were like, you know, not in Illinois. And at that time I was feeling very socially lonely and having a lot of, um, a lot of hunger to play over the board chess again after, um, such a long time. And so I decided like, Hey, you know what, let's just, um, try, uh, let's just try to like try out this, um, tournament in like a different state that I haven't been to. And so as I, um, basically got to more states, I was just thinking like, I was just thinking like, Hey, um, I've already done quite a handful of states. And so, um, might as well just keep going with more. So there was no exact light bulb moment where you were like, "I'm going to do all 50. Um, I would say that like the um, the period dur- uh, the period during COVID when I started like traveling to more states outside of outside of Illinois or really the Midwest area due to the limited supply of tournaments in uh, the country <clears throat> was probably one of the main things that propelled me to think like, "Hey, I want to do more than just what's like you know." drivable or trainable around the Midwest.
1: Hey, maybe Puerto Rico and DC as well. You could add those in as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you've been to 43 so far, so you're really clicking them off. Um, I was, uh, peeping your, uh, MSA records and I don't think I saw Hawaii or Alaska yet. Are those, are those two biggies?
0: Uh, those two are still definitely on my bucket list for sure. Yeah. Um, actually as a matter of fact for Hawaii, uh, I am actually t- targeting a tournament over um, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so that's like uh, so I think that's on um, Monday the 29th. There is a Memorial Day open tournament that's being held in Honolulu that I'm uh, trying to, uh, that I'm thinking about going to, but I haven't 100% decided yet because of the fact that, um, well, first of all, Hawaii trips will definitely take a lot of time and money. Uh, and secondly, um, the time control for the classical portion of the event, as opposed to the Blitz portion, is not my favorite. It's like, I think, game 40, delay 5. Uh, usually I'm more of a slow time control addict than a faster time control addict when it comes to classical chess. But I would certainly partake in the Blitz, even if it ends up being the only portion of the of the tournament that I end up playing. Uh, mostly just because, well, hey, it's Hawaii. You gotta really... Uh, take advantage of the uh, vacationing opportunities that you have there oh gosh yes and that'll be a huge one to click off and also for alaska i haven't heard of like any events uh ever since covid hit so i'm basically just kind of like crossing my fingers every single day that i'll hear about something but fortunately i know a fellow chess punk on twitter who is from Alaska and um he said he recently told me a couple of weeks ago that a new chess club opened in Anchorage and um while they have not held USCF rated events yet uh he I basically told him hey just keep an eye out on the USCF rated events and keep me posted if you see. If you know about any.
1: Oh, yeah, that should be number 50. And then they can invite you out there maybe for whatever the 50th state is. That's just like such a cool event because it's such a celebration. So I got it right with Hawaii and Alaska. I have to say I have no idea what the other five are. Can you give me a rundown on what's left to be checked off?
0: Actually, I've written them all down so that I know, uh, so that I don't end up missing any. So um, I'll definitely give you the rundown. So other than Alaska and uh, Hawaii, I have Colorado, which shouldn't be um, a hard state to target because uh, there, uh, there are plenty of events that are held, like I think every Monday, every Tuesday, every thursday and the denver chess club is also fairly active fairly active too there's also Maine. um they don't seem to have like routine monthly or weekly type events and they also do not seem to have a lot of um slow time control events that are like slower than game 90 so the selection would be very limited and also um well, I guess it's one of those opportunities where, where I'll have to suck up um, dealing with the dual rated time control type events of four rounds in a single day or something like that to um, get a tournament in Maine. And also one of the things that can be a little logistically difficult about Maine is the fact that um, they I believe they, uh, most of their tournaments are held in fairly small towns that are somewhat far away from um major airports if any (laughs) of those things even exist in Maine so um there's certainly that um there's Mississippi
1: I know they also had a women's or a girls tournament at some point as well so that's the thing a lot of these tournaments I mean a lot of states have state championships that are also open to non-residents
0: oh that's true but not all states always have them routinely on the same day every year or the same like weekend day frame It's
1: hard probably for you because you're trying to hit all these different places and Labor Day weekends, you can't, you can only be in one place at a time. So anyway, Maine, Alaska, Hawaii, Mississippi, Colorado. So two more, right?
0: There's Mississippi. Yes. Um, There's also, um, uh, there's also North Dakota, which also has a very rare supply of events. Um, I do know that there is a chess club in Bismarck that has, I think, four rounds game 25 delay five tournaments on the first um sunday of each month uh and so um maybe uh, so it's nice to know uh to get in touch with the organizer and you know figure out like which the beginning of like which month do i want to uh take a trip out there and do and, and do one of his events and then last but not least there is um south dakota and uh, there is a tournament there called the Sioux Falls Open, which I'm actually going to uh, this weekend for my 44th chess state. And I am traveling there with fellow chess punk Mike Lobraco, a.k.a. Magical Mates on Twitter.
1: Oh, great. So it's basically 44 then, because by the time most people are going to be listening to this, um, you're going to be at least at 44. That's just really incredible. I love it. And, you know, this this story that both during the pandemic, but also as a child, uh, you grappled with like loneliness and that made you want to travel. I, I think that's really interesting to me because uh, it's uh, so, so unusual from what I hear from chess players. It seems like a lot of times they are most interested in just like the fact that they can go to a place and play this beautiful game head to head and maybe hang out with their friends after, but you really are using it as a vehicle to see the world. For readers who have like read my work and chess Queens and, um, some of my articles, I'm a huge fan of a two-time U.S. women's champion called Sonia Graf, who wrote a lot in her books about how she saw chess as a vehicle to see this like great, beautiful world. I really love that. Do you usually add days to the beginning or the end so that you can see things?
0: Oh, yes. I definitely try to do so where I can. But it's not always possible because for some of the trips, there are somewhat uh, inconvenient flight schedules like for example if there are no direct flights between um this uh, between the city and the that I'm visiting and Chicago then that always makes uh, that always makes flight scheduling harder the more uh legs that there are in the trip like for example I didn't get to do um tourism in states like uh Alabama or um Montana during the weekends that I visited there because of the fact that well those Flights to and from Chicago were not direct, and so uh, that resulted in having to add extra um travel time with lay uh, with layovers and the extra flights. um additionally, another factor that also comes into um it, it comes into play too is well, the Locations of the tournaments are they very close or very far from um tourist-worthy areas in uh, in the states? And if they're not very, um if they're not very uh, very close to t- tourist-worthy areas of the state, then I just basically treat it like okay, it's just a chess trip. All right, I'll it's not not the most ideal situation in the world, but I'll live with it. And sometimes there are also just times in which like I just don't really feel uh, feel the desire or don't really feel that I can take any um time off work from um a weekend and so i just decide to um make it just a chess trip but at least like the nice thing about um uh about some of the states where that is the case where I don't um add extra touristy time before and or after the state trip um there are you know at least like long enough tournaments where like I'm in the state for like a decent amount of time like for example like two day or three day um weekender events where uh well I have to be in the state anyway for the chess for at least two or three days.
1: So do you feel like more people should come up with kind of goals like the one that you have to have this quest to visit all 50 states and play chess in each state, as opposed to the very, very traditional goal to just like gain as many rating points as possible or, you know, win a specific tournament. How do you feel other people can kind of imitate your success in this arena?
0: I don't know. That's a very interesting question. And I think that like there's not necessarily um, and a one size fits all answer to this because not I, I know not all chess players necessarily <laughs> always like to do very many things outside of just playing and or studying chess itself. So um, that's definitely like one thing. Um, secondly, uh, I know... Some people just aren't very adventurous when it comes to traveling. Like they either hate flying or they, um, hate, um, just having to like move, uh, having to move around a lot. And so, uh, they just don't really feel that, uh, traveling a lot would be, feel very enjoyable to them. Um, and I guess like also, uh, uh, but of course, like, you know, there's certainly people like myself who do want to um see different parts of the country or even more so different parts of the world and so they certainly um put uh, the, uh put the uh, put their heart into um doing something like this and frankly enough also um there, I know that like around the United States every year there's always like a handful of major tournaments that are held in um various states every year in certain months and so i guess another major propeller to that is like if people start going to like those tournaments at first, because, uh, because they're there anyway for those major events, they probably might already start getting a foothold on playing chess in multiple States. Like, for example, I know, um, like, let's say if people were to like travel to say Philadelphia for the world open and it's uh corresponding side events every summer or, and, or the, um, national open or u.s women's open in las vegas they've already like put themselves anyway into like uh multiple the multiple um states for chess and like i guess if they feel very um inspired or compelled after those experiences i'm sure that that's uh, that might be like a nice uh foothold to get them to do more
1: i was more thinking along the lines of the fact not as much traveling through chess which i think is really a great idea if you can kind of combine passions together but i was also just thinking along the lines that uh it's sometimes nice to have a a goal that's process oriented and that you can control a little bit because uh it's not it's not easy to control chess improvement right so you see a lot of people kind of creating content podcasts youtube Twitch streams books All of these things, you know, you can control the pace. You can just make something. Whereas like gaining hundreds of rating points, you can certainly direct it and work hard and plan. But some of it is out of your hands, right? And and I I think it's really nice to to see people like you who are, and like I said, these content creators as well that are like kind of like taking things into their own hands and saying like, in addition to trying to get better at chess, I'm also going to do this. Because I think some people need that, that kind of anchor.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Twitch streaming definitely being um, being one uh, being one of those things that really has gotten popular. Which I I have done, done before. I've started Twitch streaming in uh, December 2022, but uh, don't. But I have not like really streamed all that much um uh, recently or like generally speaking in the past because of well <laughs> the, the reasons that you probably might um, expect, which is uh, the number of chess tournaments that I. Play on average every month, and also the amount of time and energy that traveling takes, too. As a disclaimer, though, also, I have yet to stream chess on Twitch in a state outside of Illinois. Ah,
1: okay, so now you can go streaming in different states as well. There you go. Just keep upping the ante there. Speaking of which, you know, I was attracted to your idea partly because I also have a podcast, The Grid, in which I interview a different player for every hand possible in the most popular format of No Limit of Poker, No Limit Hold'em. And so it's also this kind of like structure where it makes it easier to, in some ways it makes it harder, but just like in poetry and in problem composition, sometimes having stipulations can even make things easier because you know what you're looking for and you know what you need to plan for. So I I Mm -hmm. think that that's kind of like a, a beautiful parallel between projects like yours how they seem like they'd be really difficult, but then, and also it's like, you know, that you want to try to plan to go to Hawaii and Alaska. So it's like, you kind of have your, your next few months mapped out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I saw in your article in chess life magazine. So you were recently featured in the March, 2023 issue of chess life magazine, um, in the, the back page, my best move. And you said in that, that, You've always felt at home in sharp, open positions, sacrificing material for positional initiative and dynamic attacking chances. So is this a always been a characteristic of your game? You said always. Did that go back to seventh grade or does always kind of refer to your kind of comeback in chess?
0: I would say it is more most prevalent um, during my comeback in chess because when I was playing chess in um, middle school, it was only for like a brief one to one and a half years. And uh, I was I wasn't really doing anything special as far as like my opening choices or playing styles once I kind of just went with like very near vanilla basics of like what my uh, scholastic um, programs that I've participated in have taught me like you know the standard e4 e5 9f3 knight, knight c6 bishop c4 bishop c5 castle castle type openings so nothing really uh n- nothing really fancy um as far as like opening choices or dynamic uh styles of play ones so that kind of came later yeah and like the other thing too that i think really motivates me to like to stick to an aggressive playing style is well first of all if you want to become a good chess player Playing constantly aggressively, you have to always be on top of your calculating game. Um, and the idea of ch- the concept of chess calculation has always uh, dazzled me because uh, I come from a math and a math sci- math science computer science slash STEM background, and um, there's certainly a lot of calculation involved and planning involved when. Uh, working on math problems or um, solving programming problems. And so um, I guess, you know, when I'm kind of using the same part of my brain with like technical type stuff, that's where, um, you know, I kind of feel like I like at home in that aspect of chess when it comes to like doing that stuff and also the the puzzle solving portion of my brain.
1: Oh, that makes sense. I mean, that's great yeah. because that <laughs> allows you for a lot of upward upward trajectory in chess calculating is just so key when when calculating goes wrong why do you think it usually is like what's the most frequent reason that um you find your calculations going awry
0: um well i think that one of the biggest pitfalls um in chess when people uh miscalculate variations in games is what is especially the part of around where they um Stop calculating, like say a move or two yeah. too early, and then because like if they uh, to a certain extent, like you know you can visualize like a certain number of moves ahead, but then you start thinking like oh hey uh at this point it seems obvious enough, and so I'm gonna stop calculating and then like not look further ahead, and then as a result when when you don't look further ahead and you miss um certain resources from your opponents, that's where things can backfire. I'm actually just finishing a book
1: on chess tactics. It's kind of a follow up to um, uh, my my earlier book on chess tactics, and uh, I find it really interesting. I mean, tactics are obviously very different than calculation, mm-hmm. um, but to me, calculation is an interesting topic because there are all different ways to fail at it. I saw that a lot actually, especially I see that more with like lower rated players that they they stop too early, oh, yes. especially when they're still forcing moves. Mm-hmm. But I think when you get when people get stronger, I think there's a more frequent problem. Which is that they um they miss something early on in the tree. So they calculate A and A line and B line really well, but they miss like a sub-variation C, right? Oh yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that that's more common, I think, as people get stronger. That's a more common problem. I, I call it thinking sideways that like in chess, you need to be able to like think horizontally at all your options. And then um the other one is just like desire. And bias. I really, really feel that a lot of times when people calculate, they have a confirmation bias going in and they're not really trying to be objective. They really want to do something and they kind of like extremely vary their analysis towards that. Mm -hmm. Like almost like they know what they want to play and their analysis is just trying to prove that, which you can do a lot. Like your brain can trick you to do that a lot. And that, that I think is also a really interesting life corollary, right? Because if you look at the evidence, and if you have to choose between A and B and you have a very, very strong preference for A and then you look at the evidence and it tells you that to do B, you know, you still do A somehow. You know, this is like something that you really see in life and calculation as well, I think. Yeah, for sure. I was like that as well because I, like you, I love to sacrifice pieces.
0: And make a mess on the board and really, uh, yes. and it really make the opponents like truly think on their feet and all that stuff. Yeah,
1: so, but if my calculations showed that it wasn't the right thing to do, I might go for it anyway. But it's very hard because there's also intuition. It's hard to untangle what's bias and what's intuition, right? That's a big, Mm -hmm. tricky part because bias is basically bad and intuition is good. But otherwise, we kind of mean the same thing, right? Yeah, absolutely and uh, that that's that's the that's the tough part because we you we're just using the words based on like whether it ended up working out or not or whether you're a good player or not. You see this in poker commentary all the time that if it's a good player who's like won a lot of money in poker and they make a play that's unorthodox they're like wow he's thinking outside the box and like he's really using his intuition and his game flow understanding but if it's like an amateur or somebody who's like running bad and they do that, they're like, wow, they're just collapsing, right? Yeah. So,
0: yeah, there's quite a lot of, sim- I guess, similarities between poker and chess, right? But then again, I'm not, really, I, I, I don't play poker at all, nor have I ever done it before. But I guess maybe is there, there's probably more, more luck involved in um,
1: poker. Oh, God. Yeah, a lot more luck. Yeah. And I, I think visualization. Way more than chess. Visualization's a lot more important in chess. Poker, there's maybe a bit more like math. Um, There's a lot of probability theory and there's a lot of um, having to grapple with uh, bad results, even if you make good decisions. So that's Mm -hmm. not really common to chess. So there's a lot of difficult psychological things in poker.
0: Well, in chess, I still think that there is definitely some psychological, uh, there's definitely like a degree of psychological nerves of steel that's required to become a good chess player. Because first of all, We are. We chess players are humans. We can't expect to make every single move be perfect. Um, And so, when you make a good like, let's say you're playing a real game and you're uh, making a bad move, and then all of a sudden you start realizing how much worse your position is getting, and you're starting to feel bad. I think, like you know, part of becoming a a good chess player also involves not not just like avoiding bad moves entirely, but also like learning how to like keep um keep your nerves up and uh, despite uh, and like maintain your resilience despite um making bad moves because like if you don't maintain resilience you're basically like reducing or making the chances impossible for you to be able to um come back or uh, come back from a worse or losing position or make it like as hard as possible for your opponent to win or capitalize on their equalized or better position
1: i mean absolutely mental game and psychology is so important in jazz so i um, just to to wrap up. I, I did want to ask you what was the tournament that you went to because of your quest to play U.S. Chess rated tournament in every state that most impressed you? Like something you never would have done if it wasn't for this quest, and you just had a great time or a great experience.
0: I don't know. There's a there's a few that um come to uh, that that definitely come to mind. But uh, and I'm sure um, when I list some, I might not be listing them in any particular order. and there's also a possibility that I might be missing a few, but um, I'll definitely name a few starters. First of all, um, I would say New York is definitely one. Um, one of my favorites because when I went to New York, I went to one of uh, Marshall chess club's monthly under 2400 events back in um, October of 2021. And, um, I wouldn't really say that, like, you know, it's, uh, a state or place that I would not have gone to at all if, um, it weren't for chess. Um, I, uh, I figured like, you know, Hey, Marshall chess club is one of the most famous chess clubs in the country. So I was thinking, I gotta pay you a visit to that. <laughs> and so, um, I'm, I did so. And, um, I'm very glad that I did because it also uh, happens to be, you know, in a very, a very nice location in the city and it certainly allowed me to do um a ton of tourism there i got to be able to uh, visit a, a couple of places um in Manh- in manhattan and also um in queens from uh what i remember and uh yeah definitely had a good time there and i also had had a chance to catch up with one of my um friends from college who uh lives uh, who lives there as well um, some of my other favorite states also include well, there's Wisconsin, of course, because I was able to meet uh my chess coach Ryan in person, and uh well, I mean, even though we always have been working um together online for the most part, it's just always nice to be able to um meet a chess coach in person when you normally um don't take lessons from them um uh, normally don't take lessons from them in person. So that's certainly a nice a nice bit for sure. There is also um North Carolina. Um and the reason I'm putting that out there is because, well, had I not gone there at all, um I don't think I would have like known or realized how strong um Charlotte Chess Center is, uh in, in terms of the quality of their chess events um and also like the caliber of strong players that they produce um and i think that like it's definitely one of the chess clubs that's um worth visiting for their events because they the organ- the organizer and his tds really do a great job um ca- catering well to the players experiences and um in addition to good well-run tournaments they also run other events that are honestly um very good from what i've heard i haven't been to them myself but um i am Certainly considering them for my future. Like, for example, I'm looking into possibly attending the um, Charlotte Chess Center Elite Camp this summer. Um, I'm not 100% certain on um, going just yet. But um, it's a special chess camp that um, only allows uh, Class A or stronger chess players. So basically above 1,800 USCF, to be able to participate. Um, And I think that that's a unique experience because it is advertised as the strongest non-invitational chess camp in the country. And also adults are uh, allowed to uh, to participate in it. So um, I think that it would be really cool to be able to do it if I decide to do it. A lot of people think, well, when they first think of a summer chess camp, they mostly think, hey, it's mostly just a group of um, children because they're out of school.
1: Right. Absolutely. So that's a, that's a, that sounds like a great itinerary. I mean, you've got Hawaii, Alaska, Maine, um, Colorado, Chess Camps in North Carolina.
0: When I went to Florida, I went to the 2022 Southern Class Championships in Orlando. And had it not been for that trip, I don't think I would have made a tri- it, it made a trip to um Universal Studios slash Disney and the last time that I was in Orlando was back in uh it was back in middle school and so well I guess because the tournament was happening there I was thinking like hey might as well um visit uh, visit the theme parks while I'm there and like enjoy a temporary break from the um Chicago cold and um last but not least there's also um Montana Chess players you might be thinking what the hell is a chess player doing talking about Montana chess well first of all um i don't think that that i am putting montana out uh just because um of the chess i just think that like the chess is um, is well what you can kind of expect from um any chess tournament but uh the i guess for me personally the main thing that made montana a moral, memorable experience is because i met um one of my closest friends from there
1: Obviously, that's going to make the trip memorable. Well...
0: Oh, of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It sounds like you've had a lot of good experiences. I think it's just a really good demonstration of how forcing yourself to do something and get outside your comfort zone, both in chess and in life, can be a game-changing in a good way. Um, It is Megan Chen. She is... At the time of this interview... Checked off 44 out of 50 states, and um, it's an incredible American quest to play U.S.-rated chess in each state. Um, she is a software engineer, a adult improver, and we thank you very much, Megan, for joining us on Ladies Night. You can follow her at twitter.com slash ghost1181. That is G-A-U-S-S. 1181, she was also in the recent issue of Chess Life magazine um, on My Best Move, so you can check that out as well as we follow your quest to visit all 50 states and play chess tournaments in each. If you like what we're doing at US Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax-deductible. The U.S. Chess Suite of podcasts, including Ladies' Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be Ladies' Night. Now,
0: according to
1: Sockfish, I got it all wrong.
0: After slightly advantage, I had nothing
1: but my dear cup of